If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. We stay the course! We are dead! We are all dead! We're supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I know Kung Fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! This whole thing is insane! This whole thing is insane! 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men with power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane! Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction! Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy Heresies, and welcome to the Desert of the Real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is. It just is. Especially with the latest AB Live. Audio version for thee in this eternal now and in this red pill cafeteria. Always an honor to host Gordon White at the Virtual Alexandria. This time to cover one of the greatest modern Gnostic Gospels, Legion. He'll share the magical aspects of this comic book adaptation and how its themes are more relevant than ever. An important show for any of you delving into magic, shamanism, or Gnosticism. A few tech archons towards the end, especially at the part where we discuss if being a mystic means destroying your life, but we got through. Keep in mind that by popular demand, Astronosis 2 Meet the Archons is now available to stream in both audio and video. Dive into the world of Gnostic and Hermetic thought. Experience the Archons replay with exclusive access to hours of captivating presentations and discussions. Yes, it's more than 12 hours of mind-blowing insights from renowned scholars and visionaries, covering everything from the historical origins of the Archons to psychological interpretations and rituals for individual liberation. Check out the show notes for access to a once-in-a-life opportunity. And just as cool, if you join the Virtual Alexandria Academy, you'll get the entire Meet the Archons replay at no extra cost. Don't get better than that. 
And please support if you find any value in this content. The Gnostic revelation is more important than ever, and I can't do it without you. I am very grateful for those of you who come through every week. It's not hard to contribute. For example, you can simply pledge a few dollars a month on my Patreon. One-time donations are also really appreciated. It really helps, and I can use all the help, as we all do. Other than that, let us to our latest AB Live. And yes, here's a clip from Dada Legion. Junkies and masochists and hookers and those who have squandered everything are the ring of brightest angels around heaven. It's a war. Baby, this life, the things we endure. You said you saw the future, and it's an apocalypse. Who survives that? The lovers or the fighters? They sell us this lie that love's going to save us. All it does is make us stupid and weak. Thanks. Look at me. Love isn't going to save us. It's what we have to save. Pain makes us strong enough to do it. All our scars, our anger, our despair, it's armor. Baby, God loves the sinners best because our fire burns bright, bright, bright. Burn with me. Welcome, everybody, to the realm of Johnny Meatsack. Welcome to Aeon Bite. Glad to see everybody. And I am the magic man. No, we are going to be talking about the magic man and the cornflake girl today. But my name is Miguel Connor, as always, your pompous Gnosis. And uh, welcome, everybody, to our show. More than a show, I feel this will be a actual sigil magic spell, if you would. And I think all podcasts should be that when you think about it. There should be some sort of ritualistic thing. But this one... Uh, I feel will be charged full of energy as we will be discussing my favorite, one of my favorite Gnostic texts, and certainly my favorite comic book adaptation. Yes, I have a soft spot for Superman 2 or the X-Men Days of Future Past, but this one far more as we will be discussing the TV show Legion. And with us, always excited and always glad to have my friend, Gordon White. Gordon, how art thou? I'm doing very well, Miguel. Thank you very much for the surprise invitation, actually. I have to ask, here we are in the year of our Lord 2023, and you message saying, hey, come on and talk about Legion, which we're going to talk about. What was the thinking process that got you there? What, what, what are we, what, what, it's not even like we're talking about classic TV. It's like, 
it's too recent to be classic and it's too old to be like, oh, are you watching Foundation? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. These days I go by what the, the voices or the gods tell me. For example, I never liked Elvis, but after doing Ayahuasca last summer, this voice kept saying, you need to write this book. I never gave a, a shit about the goddess Artemis, but this voice told me you better worship her this summer. So I just go with it. And suddenly Legion seemed like a magic spell I needed to do and you needed to be part of it. So I just, Ooh. I don't know if these things are right, Gordon, but I know that when you don't listen to them, that's when the real pain happens, right? But, oh, that, uh, that I couldn't agree with more. Yeah, I mean, you never know what there's a purpose. Maybe you and I will touch one person and that person will make a difference in their life. We don't know what the gods or the spirits have in store for us, but I've just learned it's better to lean into it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's try and touch someone and get away with it. Yeah, and I mean, Legion was a show that people would recommend and I never, uh, I didn't pay attention, but for some reason during the middle of the pandemic insanity, I just thought I'm going to watch it one episode every night. And it was part of my, it was a coping skill during the depths of, you know, 2021. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, oh, yeah. oh this is humanity. I get it. <laughs> yeah. So that's super interesting, right? Because when you message and say, hey, come and talk about Legion, I'm like, cool. We just finished up some recent TV and we're in a gap. It's like we're looking for something to rewatch. And I tried to rewatch Game of Thrones and I got to episode three where, Ned Stark is forced to kill the dog. And I'm like, oh, right. That's this show where, like, everything mean happens continuously and then it ends. I'm like, I'm not. I loved it at the time. I'm not yeah. in a place to watch it now. So we had this gap. And then you message. And I'm like, okay, cool. I remember liking Legion, um, which I did. But I had, like, trauma flashbacks as well because we watched it as it went through which actually meant I watched it over the time that the farm was about to be destroyed by fire and all the, and like on the way to my first ayahuasca right. uh, experience in the jungle. And I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> all this stuff. So it's really interesting that a show that is in fact about trauma and memory uh, can actually do that. <laughs> can actually do that to you anyway. So whilst we are, I presume recommending people either watch or rewatch the show, uh, there's a there's a little bit of a a warning right at that that it, it encodes it's exploring trauma and memory which means uh, so will you if you watch it. No, that's a good point. You and I were talking before how my anxiety levels have just shot up. I haven't experienced anxiety in years, and I have to think probably rewatching Legion is because it's bringing not just this life, past lives, different parts of me. It just it's an amazing uh, treatise on, you know, you say magic, I say Gnosticism, the, the, basically the fragmentation of the human mind and how to get back into things. And it just hits on so many themes. It just hits home. So it yeah. could be and it, what, but we're meant to be. Well, so it's interesting, right? Like, I was thinking about this watching through to see if maybe I'd missed something in terms of, is this like a David Lynch uh, is this like when he came back to do Twin Peaks and became far more obvious that he's uh, layering in proper esoteric knowledge? Uh, is it a show that is teaching you magic? And it isn't. So that's the super interesting thing about it, right? Like this, so 2017 to 2019, I think we, we talk about the golden age of television. Right. That's the end of it, right? Like it's not like we don't have good shows now. I mentioned Foundation. I'm actually quite enjoying it more than I expected to. Um 
But that was a big of it because here's this incredible product that I describe as Wes Anderson does Twin Peaks, and it's on FX. You're not even buying some kind of streaming service for it, and it's it's just excellently produced. Excellently is a word. Uh, TV drama. Like there's, it's like here is a really good showrunner who cast a whole bunch of amazing people, most notably Aubrey Plaza, who I would watch sleep, and um, and they just got to do three series. And he actually structured it so that. If they only get to do one series, it's satisfying. If they only get to do two series, it's satisfying. And they ended up doing three, and it was. And I just got to the end of it going like, shit, we used to be able to do this. We used to just be able to have, like, good TV. <laughs> you know, like, here's a story that is well done. And that was really, it's funny, like, one of the things we might discover that we take away from it this time around for me, it kind of reminded me of this hospicing modernity idea of, Actually, not everything about Western mass media is a psyop or propaganda or mind mm. control. Like, actually, we did a couple—not many, but we did a couple of did a couple of good things with these platforms. And and Legion, I think, falls into that category for me. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And yes, uh, it definitely has the Wes Anderson aesthetic, uh, as Noah Harley uh, himself said. Yes, it is influenced by. Uh, David Lynch, it's influenced by Stanley Kubrick, obviously Philip K. Dick's fingerprints all over. He quotes Philip K. Dick oh, yeah. in the show. I mean, he says that The Matrix is an influence, and we, you and I both know that The Matrix is the hybrid child of Philip K. Dick and Grant Morrison. So it's that stream of all these magicians that you and I both like and our audiences love just coming together in this wonderful uh, show. It's more like and I love it like David Lynch. It's more like the aesthetic and the themes are as much of a character as the character themselves. Yeah. And it's not. Well, see, again, I noticed that. Yeah. Like this time around, I don't know how I didn't necessarily. I mean, I must have noticed it on some level. But the fact that it's so stylized in, in a good way um, is part of that exploration of what's reality and what's your insanity itself so that the fact that for people who are unaware it's based on a mid-80s almost like x-men spin-off it's uh it's an illegitimate child of charles xavier in the books anyway right. and some israeli scientists and it's it was it's always been kind of radioactive because it has a really 1980s idea of what was then called multiple personality disorder or schizophrenia or something mm -hmm. so you don't want it to you don't want to lay that on thick. You don't want to mythologize mental illness and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so it's always been, this, it, it's in many respects, a, a weird choice. But what Noah Hawley did that I think folds into it so well is that he didn't actually set it in the extended MCU or in the X-Men world, but he also didn't not. And even from that perspective, it is playing with, the realities that you inhabit. So like the show, I was thinking about this, it doesn't teach magic in the way that, frankly, the, the at least the return of Twin Peaks kind of does. Um, it, But it, it's playing with it at the very idea of its existence. It's like, it's not even necessarily in the show itself, but its existence and what it chooses to, to focus on and how it chooses to do it. Like the fact that the show exists is, is a real Morrisonian, uh, treatise i think on magic 
Yeah, like we were talking, you said this would be if they did the Invisibles right, and this is shows yeah. very much like the Invisibles. Again, it's a uh, it's a giant sigil. It's all these concepts and ideas on reality and the simulation, what it is to be a human presented with the characters almost there, not in the background, because regardless of what happens, the characters' goals continue. I mean, yeah, you can have one show where they suddenly talk, they spend the whole show talking about alternate realities, or they're having a fight and they go into this like half an hour dance routine, or it turns into character. And Morrison's doing that too in The Invisibles. The goals continue, but it's just this grand design, this grand Gnostic uh, uh, design or expression to make us understand reality and try to break our own fourth walls. Yeah, well, because it's a trip, right? So you have to watch it the same way you watch Twin Peaks. I keep hearing this as an idea, which is, no. I don't know what's going on, but I'm somehow not lost. Like, you actually just have to watch what's going on in the screen, and then you get to the end of it and go, oh, okay, cool. Which is a very different and very sophisticated way of filmmaking. Um, you don't know what's happening on a cognitive level, but you're somehow not lost. It's actually quite impressive because obviously we downloaded a bunch of them and we're uh, watching multiple episodes uh, at night just to be able to make it for this call. And there was, there's a couple of times where we'd pause at the beginning of episode two of an evening just to make sure we hadn't skipped an episode because it had gone somewhere that we're like, wait a minute. Later we just watched that. And you, you come back and check and go, no, 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 this is the right next episode. And once you know that, you can be, okay, cool. Well, I'm just going to let Noah take me where he wants to take me, right? And by the end of it, it's a very, very sophisticated and very psychedelic way of consuming or engaging with a creative product because you don't know what's happening. You're not watching an episode of Friends. It's not like a beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm. You are, you're, you're keeping up with an actual cognitive narrative. And that, so this is what I mean, like the show works as a, as a sigil in its existence rather than in its content. Exactly. Yeah, I would, I would 100% agree. And yes, it's loosely based on the X-Men. I think the three characters are, yeah, uh, Professor X, uh, David Holler, his son, and then Amar Farouk are the three. And two of them were created by Chris Claremont, who was the the famous guy who revitalized the X-Men because Jack Kirby and Stan Lee had it and it just wasn't successful. And he took it over. And Chris Claremont is one of the writers. I looked it up. Exactly. So, yeah. so it yeah. was this is true X-Men essence. And sometimes I feel this is what Jack Kirby would have liked a TV show on him done. I think he so would have enjoyed yeah. it. So like when you listed the superhero uh stories that you've been that you don't hate let's put it that way <laughs> that have been televised or turned into films i i'm in agreement with them like um we're not I, and i understand why we're not allowed to like the original x-men reboot because it turns out that the showrunner is not a, a good person right like i like I, st- I love it i still like it yeah me too but like th- what legion does catch captures the um there's something different about the X-Men as, as, a, as a feel, as a mouthfeel. The, the, the idea of, it's weird, right? Because it's, it's hokey mid-20th century stuff in a lot of ways. Like, ooh, a mutant. Like, it's a real nuclear age, you know, a yeah. real nuclear age idiocy. Uh, but there is something about them that really explores that archetypal, archetypal outsiderness in a way that I think, I can't stand this about Spider-Man. Because it's like, oh, boo-hoo, I'm a little nerd. <laughs> like it's, I, I don't like I don't like the Peter Parker journey at all, 
and Batman is a wealthy psychopath. <laughs> so um, it's, it's sort of very difficult to find your way into sympathy there as well. But the X-Men is, uh, well, are a collection of outsiders who do that real Joss Whedon thing about created family. So there's like an energy to, uh, there's a medicine in the X-Men that you don't find elsewhere. And it's in the X-Men reboots, some of them. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly in Legion, right? And I, I, I agree, like this. That's very difficult to retain and convey, which is why some of the X-Men stuff is so patchy. But it's there, right? Like it's that this, there is something about the X-Men in, in particular. Yes, definitely, definitely. And yes, uh, for everybody in the chat, good to see you. Uh, we'll try to get to your questions. Vance got tied up at work. So uh, if you have anything, please super chat them. Or Gordon, if you see anybody saying anything uh, you want to address, of course, always your choice. But uh, yeah, first uh, I, I did a little presentation. I told AI to do it, and then I ended up uh, editing because AI won't give you copyrighted material, so you have to get that yourself. And I changed some of the text. But moving forward, I think too for our discussion. Uh, We need to bring this quote by you, Gordon, from your blog. And yes, this makes it to my Elvis book. And that's the definition of magic. Magic is the felt sense that our role in the cosmos is co-creative. So that's a very important, and I love that definition. And of course, it goes to Legion, because again, the three main characters are godlike, Professor X, uh, the Shadow King and David Haller. They're basically three demiurges or saviors who have ultimate power over this illusion. And that's their story, this trinity trying to figure out reality and how they've broken down and how they can have a redemption arc. So they are doing magic because all three characters are sort of, uh, yeah, they're co-creating with the universe, this tale. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is... It's like if you watch Legion at the same time you do, you maybe read some of, you maybe read The Miracle Club by Mitch Horowitz, right? Mm -hmm. So if you watch Legion at the same time you do some new thought manifestation style work, they get a one-two punch quite well because what Noah does, which is the correct choice for a narrative, is like I'm going to turn this into a character arc. And in, in David's case, who's more or less the main character, although the He's a host being, which is one of those things. His is a journey to um, coherence by claiming his story. So there's a lot of, when we talk about it being about trauma and memory, the the, the story is a electrifying extra cosmos at risk version of something we all have to do, which is uh, one way or the other come to terms with childhood traumas so that they don't play out and destroy our world. So that's the human level of what goes on in Legion. And that is also mandatory <laughs> to get any of your manifestation uh, exercises to actually come to fruition. Like you, you can't be playing out your trauma. You have to step into that level of sovereignty that allows you, which is that co-creative component to, of magic, that allows you to express from that. Uh, Are you thinking or did you freeze? I think you it gets, froze for It's a always you that gets in your way. Oh. <laughs> All right, well... It's, well, I was about to say, it's always you that gets in your way when it comes to manifestation work, but sometimes it's live streaming platforms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it is. So it is. Uh, yeah. 
I certainly agree. So now that you, uh, for those of you in the audience, have the definition of magic moving forward, let's do this little presentation and then we can unpack some of it. Let's see, banners, let's take you off. Got you in the comments. Let's put you, here we go. <clears throat> Mass, magic and Gnosticism and Legion, and this will help for those of you who may not be familiar. Legion is a TV show based on the Marvel comic characters of the same name. It follows the story of David Haller, a man who discovers he has psychic abilities. The show is known for its mind-bending visuals and complex storytelling. The, the show stars Dan Stevens as David Haller. And uh, some of you may know Dan Stevens from... Um, he was he played the beast in the remake of Beauty and the Beast. He was in Downtown Downtown Abbey. And what is this thing? I always feel like every British actor as a tour de force has to either be in Downtown Abbey, Harry Potter, or Doctor Who. It's very strange. Like every actor in England has to do that tour. But anyway, Rachel Keller plays Sid Barrett. Yes, her name's Sydney, but here's a uh, callback to Pink Floyd. And, of course, the beautiful and amazing Aubrey Plaza as Lenny Busker. And I feel she, sometimes I feel this show, Gordon, was just created for her to show her range of intensity because well, she plays like a drug addict, then she plays God, then yeah. she plays a, a mother who loses her child because of time. I mean, it's just, she it's, just it's so blows good. it it's out of the just, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the weird thing, so apparently, particularly for season one, the reason she's called Lenny Busker is that originally a, a male actor in his 50s was going to be cast as what yeah. is Dan Stevens' imaginary friend. Uh, and then Noah, and I think Noah and Aubrey know each other or whatever, and she just she took the role, said, hey, do you want to do this? And she insisted that none of the language, none of the dialogue be changed at all so that she still got the words of a man in his 50s, which is why the she calls him kid and why the... Uh, why her phraseology is like post-war and how she talks about women and, and, and all the rest of it. So yeah, no. she's not only an amazing actress, she's also one of these amazing actresses that's fucking crazy, which uh, generally <laughs> goes together. But the role was written for a man in his 50s, and then she took it and said, change nothing, which is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we have an actor who can match Jack Nicholson in Aubrey Plaza. And yeah, you're right. I, I mean, so. in one scene, she gets her girlfriend pregnant, and I'm thinking, how did she do that? But then I don't ask questions. I say, okay, you've got your exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you were a man in another one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she was, uh, she was, uh, she was intense. And uh, I'll, probably the, I feel David Holler is tragic, but I think she's even more tragic. She gets no thanks. She gets abused. She gets her, her character arc is just dark. It's just, uh, but she, you know, she handles it well. She handles it incredibly well. Yeah, absolutely. The cast also includes Gene Smart, Bill Irwin, and Jeremiah Harris. The actors bring their characters to life with nuanced performances. And there's many others. For example, speaking of beauty, you've got Amber Midthunder, who many of you know was the protagonist in the latest uh, Predator movie. She does a great job. Uh, there is, uh, who else? Uh, Hamish Linklater is a great actor. He, Many of you know him from Midnight Mass, an incredible series. Uh, the Night King, or I'm sorry, The Shadow King is by Navid Negaban, who's a Persian actor. So it's got uh, an excellent cast. Um, 
And of course, yes, the visuals. There's, of course, a psychic battle between David Haller and the Shadow King. And in this one, they are singing uh, the Who's Behind Blue Eyes while these cartoon characters are fighting up in the astral plane. It's got a dualistic thing, right, Gordon? You've got basically the material world and the imaginal astral plane. And that's where everything Absolutely, happens. yeah. So it's weird, right? Like a lot of this, the, the chatter online that I was putting together uh, or looking through to put together my thoughts was on uh, its depiction of the astral plane, which is a word I don't love um, from a magical perspective, uh, for a spirit world or so on. And the funny thing is, this is an excellent portrayal of the mental plane, which is not usually a term, it's not quite the astral or spiritual, but it's nevertheless a classic esoteric concept. They're just calling it the astral plane because it's definitely more mental as a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's like it's not the astral plane as a practicing uh, magician would I would say boundary it, but it is definitely out of esoterics, which is the mental plane, which certainly has an overlap to it, right? So if you look at the Eliphas Levy era of of esotericism and magic, the the mental plane is different to the astral plane, but they're obviously powerfully co-implicated. And it's a really, really good depiction of the mental plane, I think. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, very cool. And uh, yeah, they they do good use to it, especially when they bring in the time travel motifs and all that. So uh, excellent. Uh, again, the visuals are very experimental. They're fun and uh, definitely psychedelic. So I'll read. One of the most striking aspects of Legion is, yes, it's visuals. The show is known for its surreal and abstract imagery, which reflects the inner working of David's mind. The cin cinematography, production design, and visual effects all contribute to the show's unique look. And that's what I was thinking too, Gordon, because there are some shows that there is nothing like them. You could probably say that with uh, Legion. Just I can't think of anything like Donnie Darko. There's never been anything like Donnie Darko, never will be. I, don't, I can say the same thing with Legion. They won't allow it. <laughs> nobody yeah. will do it yeah, yeah, yeah. well because it moved you think okay they're going for which i get because of the mutant x-men thing they're going for a stylized version of the 50s except they don't because they actually move it along the decades with each season and it ends up with that really like late 60s to mid 70s um hippie era and it, so there's nothing like it because even if you find one that's going to do a stylized version of an era it picks one. <laughs> These guys like do three decades of it, and it's just like visually. Again, it's it's just like a really well produced TV show on FX. It's, you're not even you're not even in like streaming town for these things. <laughs> yeah, it does have yeah, it does have, and also has this sort of secret agent vibe to it, especially the first season. But it's you feel like maybe this is the late sixties and the sci-fi secret agent motif, but uh it yeah, definitely has this timeless quality to it. Let's see the story. Well, there's David Haller. Yes, a lot of Buddhism and Hinduism is tapped into it too. Uh, again, there's so many ideas. Uh, like I noticed they quote Kierkegaard. Uh, again, they use a lot of Buddhist motifs. Obviously, Uspensky, Nietzsche, and the Stoics are brought in on the idea of cyclical history. So it just throws everything and at the at the at the everything in the kitchen sink, just like Grant Morrison did in The Invisible. It's like ah, psh, there you go. Uh, the story of Legion is complex and multi-layered. 
It explores themes of mental illness, identity, and reality. Oh, there's Philip K. Dick again. The show is not afraid to take risks and challenge its audience. It rewards viewers who pay attention to the details. Ah, and then you have, uh, this is also speaking of another beauty. We've got Lauren Tsai. She plays the time traveler. Interesting that uh, Farouk says that all time travelers, mutants, have to be women. And he gives this explanation about this. Uh, it's also interesting, too, because I love how I always wonder who the shadow people are, Gordon. And uh, my wife sees shadow people. And in Legion, it simply says they're time demons. They're trying to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're like the jackals. They make sure that the ecosystem is balanced, but they have to eat, destroy, and, you know, take have, care of business. Yeah. There's sort of a more interesting take on the Langoliers, which is... Um like a, a Stephen King TV movie, I believe, from the 80s that had Balki Bartokamas, or whatever his name was, from Perfect Strangers in it. So I remember as a kid, uh, and it was that same idea of something consuming time so that it doesn't stagnate. It's, it's like a compost view of, of time. Uh, to spoil a little bit of it, she's like, it's interesting that what we find as you move through Series 3, which is very much about time, it's not just that there are bad guys operating outside of time. There are good guys, including whatever she is and her father, right? So that you actually have, you actually realize what's going on. This is where the mental plane interfaces with some kind of cosmic or magical reality. It's like, no, there, it's not all just in your head. A lot of it is. And that's where <laughs> your battlegrounds will be. But that is happening in the context of a cosmos that is managed, let's say. Exactly. But let me read for those who will later be uh, hearing an audio and podcast providers. Legion has received critical acclaim for its innovative storytelling and bold visuals. The show has been praised for its originality and its willingness to push the boundaries of what is a superhero, what a superhero show can be. Indeed, it has been nominated for multiple awards, including Emmys and Golden Globes. And yes, the first season was a big money maker. People got mad the second season because Noah Hawley just second season. He's just he just yeah, I'm going to throw in John Hamm as this this narrator talking about uh, conversion disorders and moral panics, and then I'm going to you're in the middle of a plot, and John Hamm's going to talk about Plato's cave, except it's an even darker Plato's cave because. Suddenly, we're we're not there watching shadows, but the the archons have turned each one of us shadows. We think that we're the only one in the cave, and those trapped next to us are shadows, so it's very scary. But anyway, the second season, he goes nuts. And yes, it was created by Noah Hawley. He also did Fargo, which is okay. I, I don't mind it. It's nowhere near Legion. He did that Beatles movie, um... I forgot what it's called. Uh, well, he did. He directed a Beatles movie, and he's done a few other things. Um, yeah. yeah. That cave metaphor, the, the, the spin on it or the remix, where humans are the shadows in the digital world, uh, given that that was four and a half years ago, it becomes more rather than less real. And it's just one of the ways that, like, an, a, an archetype like Plato's Myth of the Cave can provide medicine and insight whichever angle you come at it from because then it just never occurred to me and obviously i'd watched it through before but the idea that um there's we are shadows in the digital world so that, which is true like this is how we are in the non-digital world 
cast the shadow into the digital that is definitionally not just wrong, but like paints a wrong and distracting picture. It's such a cool like turn of phrase. It's really good. Yeah, the se- again the second the third season is more time travel, but the second season he goes uh, just completely the surreal end uh, with so many things. Again, the narration, the the interruptions. I think one episode you spend in the mind of Sid Barrett, and it's so terrifying because that's the one where she's like the rogue character. If you she can switch parts with you, but so you have this child that's grown that cannot handle touch. So this girl grows up without the ability for human touch, and it's heartbreaking. And she is also becomes very flawed. But you get the whole show, and David Haller has to relive all of her lives until he can figure out what the central theme is, which is one of the central themes for uh, Legion, which is love will not save you. We come here to save love. And I love that theme of why we're down here. Such a powerful, like, this is where... The X-Men are electrifying. So the what Hawley did was find how someone's so-called mutant superpower is an expression of trauma. Because if you look at Sid's story, presumably rogues as well, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. what happens when you don't, when you either do not have uh, affection growing up, like you, you are grown up in a t- trauma environment, is that you can't have affection in adulthood until you uh heal that and similarly an aversion of that is if there is sexual abuse so if there's like wrong touch shall we say in childhood the same thing you have to work i wouldn't say have to i'm not telling people who are abuse survivors what to do but i mean like one of the things you were called to do with your life is is find a way to make sure that trauma doesn't dictate it and that's kind of her story because i mean we have to do a little bit of spoiler but again the show's five years old come on people and she does a body <laughs> yeah. switcheroo with her mother. She, the first time she has sex, she does a body switcheroo with her mother, and then her mother's boyfriend has sex with what he thinks is her mother. So he's not like abusing her, but it turns out it's her. And that's plainly a metaphor for um, what does unfortunately happen in environments such as that, where the mother's boyfriend does things he's not supposed to with the mother's child. So it's like another way Hawley's using this uh, this world of the X-Men and mutants to talk about the thing of the show, which is trauma and togetherness and healing uh, in, in the context of a, of a cosmos that has meaning and significance when you either don't do it or when you do it. Yeah, and of course, this that scene. Of course, I'm like, he's pulling an Alan Moore. He's using a plot yeah, to bring exactly. some sex between two different age people. But of course, like you said, his he is definitely more uh, symbolic and metaphoric. But it's still, yeah. uh, and it's not as salacious as and I know Alan Moore likes to defend it, but it's not as salacious <laughs> as when Alan Moore does it. No, no, not at all. Uh, let's see why you should watch it. If you're looking for a mind-bending and thought-provoking TV show, Legion is a perfect choice. It offers a unique viewing experience that is both challenging and rewarding. Yes, challenging. The show is a must-watch for fans of superhero stories and experimental storytelling. Again, it's like watching David Lynch. Leave your normal TV viewing habits and expectations at the door. Just uh, as Gordon says, let it take your soul for a ride because it will take you to some magical places. 
I have here, oh, in conclusion, Legion is a show that is not afraid to take risk and push the boundaries of what a superhero show can be. It offers a unique viewing experience that is both visually stunning and intellectually stimulating. Thanks for that, AI. Again, See, I put the graphics See, none of those slides in. contained any information. Like, AI still hasn't got there yet. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's not um, the themes of season one of it. Like, there's actually no detail. They still don't do detail. Every slide is like introducing someone at a roast like you're just spending a couple of minutes vamping before you get to the actual material it's fascinating like none of if you click back through those slides there's no <laughs> it's like what did you even just tell me and i love it yeah, it's like this is where people we're not if you're a creative don't be afraid of ai just yet because it uh yeah <laughs> yeah anyway. it's uh, it's a work in progress but again it uh, saved me you know oh, totally. ai saved me 20 percent of my work slides yeah. copy graphics so i'll take 20 percent uh saving time in this world this one i added myself gordon and here's one of my favorite uh quotes again john ham talks about it Human beings are the only animal that forms ideas about the world. We perceive it not through our bodies, but through our minds. We must agree on what is real because of this. We are the only only animal on earth that goes mad. And I love this quote because it's so true. He talks about, you know, the dog doesn't think. Uh, the flea doesn't create ideas about the world. It is true. We, this is, uh, again, very hermetic. Yeah, I just don't think... Um, I think we do perceive through our bodies. That's like, from a, from an Amazonian perspective. That's the only way we perceive differently because we're all made out of the same awareness stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I get the angle they're going with, right? Uh, but yeah, it's it. It is to put that eternal cosmic and philosophical question mark about what is it about humans that like why are we so bad at this compared to everyone else? No, no everyone no, else no. seems to just be like getting along with doing with giraffing or tuna-ing or whatever. Like they're, they're doing it right, but we, we seem to struggle with, with basic humaning. And, and that puts the, the right philosophical question around it. Exactly, or this quote, here he's talking about a moral panic and then, you know, you know, chasing witches. And of course, what we've experienced the last three years, right? The Imagine. whole witch hunting. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he asks, ask yourself, what's more terrifying, fear or the frightened? obviously the frightened because we've learned yes. that the frightened can destroy civilization as they have haven't they <laughs> that's one of the quotes that i had uh, pulled out myself this exact one because uh, it certainly hits different on this side of, uh, of when the show came out that's for sure yeah, and for the audience this is just one of the many themes that i deal with like i love the you know again uh, the conversion disorder which mental disorders are contagious that's been proven whether you know, the dancing plague, uh, the schools in the United States where everybody gets a tick and everybody goes through this stage of anxiety. So and of course, it asks the Philip K. Dick question, is reality just a shared mental disorder, which is possible, but uh, many powerful things it plays with. And then, of course, you've got Amal Farouk, who is kind of I guess you would say, Gordon, he's kind of a redeemed demiurge, if you would. But at the end, he sort of decides that he's had enough. And he actually, I guess it's the Lady Macbeth and Macbeth things. David goes one way, the symbiotic relationship theory. And Amal goes the other way. He turns, he goes into the light side and he says this wonderful, magical quote. 
We can make anything we fancy in this arena of infinite promise. And this is what we come up with? Weapons? War? Surely we have more imagination than that. It's beautiful, I think. And magical and they're in the astral plane he's in the astral plane with charles with professor x but he's really talking about our world absolutely and he's the if you watch through he's the mental or mind parasite that's the bad guy in season one and it calls to mind for me something jung said that we don't uh we don't ever heal our complexes we get bigger than them right so the story of amal farouk's development or redemption redemption is also the story of david re-relating with his traumas or his complexes because although they're <clears throat> sort of external <clears throat> uh, at the time he's still that's still his historic demon right and so it is it's this beautiful either redeemed demiurge or more classic luciferian figure uh like you know with a sympathy for the devil angle and it's really like his journey is I mean, David's journey is great, but it's it's funny. There are other journeys in the show that are more interesting in their own way. Yeah, they are. They <laughs> and, are. Uh, yeah, uh, he would like they have some very good conversations that get really, really close to the morality of magic, particularly the new thought stuff. Right? Like, well, mm-hmm. why, if you have the choice between imagining shit and not? What are you doing imagining shit? Like, it's funny when you, when you have it explained to you, it's like, this is a good point. <laughs> I've been imagining shit for like three decades. Why? And that's, a, that's on me. I'll, I'll take that now. And so it, you can, if you're running some, I don't know, reading material parallel to watching Legion, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity for development there. That's for sure. Yeah, I think a, a lot of it, too, is uh, David Haller. I mean, I, I kind of figured it out watching the second part because, again, I can relate. Uh, David Haller, his, uh, or the character, you know, being uh, depressed, a drug addict, again, having a mind, a mind parasite, I could relate to his pain and how he fights his way out of it. It's, uh, it's well done. But at the same time, then there's the arc where he begins to loot, where he starts turning into Legion. And it's the simple, classic idea to fight the empires to become infected exactly. by its already. He decides he's going to use the same tactics against Amal Farouk, and it's driven by vengeance. So when he does that, of course, he immediately loses the plot. You know, I've <laughs> talked about it. There's, you know, there's magic against politicians, and there's, you know, uh, June Singer saying, or I'm uh, sorry, um, then there's the, the, the positive magic, the redemptive magic. And David chooses the, uh, he chooses again to use the same tools of anger and fear. And that, of course, he loses a plot. And it's the classic addict thing where he wants to, uh, well, I made a mistake. I'm just going to forget about it. Oh, I'll play God. I'm, if I just move things here and there, everybody will be fine. I don't have to take responsibility. He just, again, he goes into that demiurge. He becomes the demiurge. He mates with his madness as the secret book of John says, and he creates more and more archons, which appear in front of him. And before you know it, he becomes the main villain of the show, while Amal well, that, Farouk yeah. it redeems it's the, it's the demiurgic sin, right? Because when he makes an error, he, he, the sin there is he believes he single-handedly can fix and affect right. the world, right? And right. so, and that's in the context, it's, 
almost like a gambling addiction story where it is like, oh, I'll just, I'll just keep all these lying plates spinning. Like, no, if I just tell you this for long yeah. enough to go yeah. and fix that, then I can come back and everything will be as normal. Uh, and and that never works, obviously, uh, as addicts will tell you. But like that, that life, spirals yeah. out of control. Yeah, <laughs> that spirals out of control, and it's demiurgic. It's like no, just let just like let me fix this. I will fix it all. The world will be perfect. I will single handedly make the world perfect. It's just speaking of secret book. Like there's a real there's a real Yaldabaoth energy to the <laughs> to the turn, right? To to David's turn, which is really really well done. It's the it's like you don't want him to do it. It's like that's not that's not what it's for. That's not how it's done, David. Uh, <laughs> I know, and everybody tells him all the prophecy says you're going to destroy the world, David. He's like, no, 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 no. I got this. No, no. So he thinks of some great idea. Well, if I go back in time and wipe everybody's memory and start the 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 slate clean, everything will be fine. And that's what exactly brings the destruction of the world. You have to get ironically these sort of saturn time lords to come <laughs> fix his mess yeah that's it's really powerful stuff like the 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 demiurgic era uh one of the at least one of the things the story of the demiurge teaches us is that uh, let me do it this way the demiurge is the opposite of my definition of magic because the demiurge is doing everything itself like i will make this perfect Mm -hmm. uh, and and it's that process that is destructive because the universe is this community of beings idea it is co-creating and it's that yeah it's this there's a really powerful meditation on intervention in this story right because i'm very big on like not what can we do but where can we do something and you have this what we're called in the 80s cosmic level mutants uh <laughs> trying to like just demiurge it's just like nope i'm gonna fix it i'm gonna do a better creation literally i'm gonna make a better creation where have i heard that before yeah yeah i don't know if it's a good world but it will be a perfect world exactly <laughs> uh we all do it in our egoic selves and it is interesting that the the show actually uses the word mutants I, at the time i thought marvel was not allowed to use the word mutants because uh uh, I forgot who owned it. Another Fox owned the rights to the mutants in 2017. Really? Yeah. So I don't know how they got away with it. And, uh, it is interesting. We also have to think, uh, Jeff Kripal in his book, the serpent's gift has a whole chapter on how the X-Men are today's Gnostics, you know, secret, uh, secret information hiding under, you know, in their little places and lodges and powers that will, uh, that draw from modern times, but uh, are destabilizing to normative society. So if anybody gets a chance, read that. As far as the uh, the Gnostic themes, it's obviously there. And we've just talked about some of them. Gordon, you got the Archon Mind Parasite, which is how the Shadow King starts out. Simulated reality, the mind model religion uh, speculation. Uh, of course, it, it's all about the psyche and the levels of the psyche as well as the levels of reality. Um, you were talking about uh, Farouk, and I also see him too as that trickster being because his morality is like any trickster. It's way beyond what you and I want to uh, work or even we, we shouldn't even try to figure it out because he's on a level where, yeah, he's going to help humanity, but he's also out of his mind you know he'll destroy a few people yeah. here he'll destroy a few lives but he also will help he's a trickster and um so that right there uh and of course the idea of um what to stephen davis that if you wanted to 
summarize Gnosticism in one sentence, uh, you would say it's a story of how God went crazy and how to be and how he became us and how we reverse it. You know, uh, the way the way above is the same as the way below, and we how we to we have to re-step, retrace our steps, which is Legion does as imperfectly as David and Farouk and Professor X try to re-step, you know, retrace what went wrong, but they try, they do it. So I have a question for you. Is there any Lovecraft in it? Because there's that after what happened in Red Hook, I believe that's an understatement line about David's powers, right? Now, I I couldn't get a consensus when I was looking online uh, about this because his apartment could just have been in Red Hook. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Um, given, especially where speaking of Alan Moore, uh, where he take like, is there a is there a Providence wink in there of there's a there's a mind sorcerer in Red Hook, uh, and I'm just wondering, what do you think? Is there is there a was that a was that Hawley giving a, a little nod yeah. wink in, in Lovecraft's direction? Oh, easily because remember, you know, in uh, season two, you've got those monks. They're called the Migo monks. The Migo yeah, are this alien race that Lovecraft yeah. the barrel shape with the tentacles. So, and then there's this Minotaur. So yeah, there's uh there's definitely a, a lot of nods to Lovecraft throughout the show. I mean, even the Minotaur, this dorky Minotaur, that's not even a Minotaur. It's like a guy with a mask. That's straight out of like Time Bandits. Remember when Sean Connery fights yeah. the Minotaur and it's just a guy with a mask? I think there's a call to, again, Monty Python and Terry Gilliam in a lot of Legion, as well as Lovecraft, for sure. So well, that's good because what it does is, especially for season one, because coming back to like, is the magic in the show or is the show's existence magic? When it starts to then overlap with uh, external material that is magic, and I went straight to Providence because Providence is kind of dealing with this same idea of uh, created reality and who's creating it. So humans for one, but also that there are beings like Farouk <laughs> who uh, exist in the imaginal that are looking to impact what we The time demons, physical. the time lords. Yeah. yeah, there's a whole, yeah. That's funny, like, because I remember thinking about this the first time through, uh, watching first time through in 2017, 2018. Like, is this in the MCU? What's happening here? Is this in the same universe <laughs> as the X-Men movies and so on? And it's weird, like, the way... The way season one works is it's almost as if this is X-Men in the real world. And then you find out it isn't because you're not actually in the real world. You're, you're in David's story, which puts you in the, the well, then where is X-Men? Like, is X-Men the real world and where in David's madness? Because yeah. you have like, uh, we're talking about Sid, right? Like, so Sid's a really good example of like, are you rogue, but in reality? Like, and there, yeah. there's, now, there's a Magneto character, the guy that can yeah. move things. Yeah. And, if you think of the two carries, it's sort of beast. Uh, so, like, yeah. th- there's there's versions of as if X Men was this imaginal realm and, and we're the physical play out of it. But then it flips the script and it's like, well, hang on, maybe that's real and and we're the physical. And that's really cool because it does that in the same series that it is it is calling out to other materia, like in this case Providence um, or Lovecraft in general that right. does play with that perception. So this is where I think we can 
move it into semi-intentional hypersigil because particularly with season one, you're like, well, hang on. I know this is kind of about the X-Men, but there are no X-Men in it, but there kind of are. And so oh. it's putting you in that, like putting you in that, well, hang on. So like, yeah. is this an alternate reality to the X-Men? But it looks more like ours. Is the X-Men the alternate reality? It, you know, and, and it actually deliberately destabilizes you towards uh, understanding perception and its impact on on how you operate. So that's I got all of that from the Red Hook line. How do you? <laughs> what do no, you think? <laughs> no, I agreed. I kept thinking in uh, the show, the first season. Well, are they gonna? When are they gonna open the chest and give them their costumes? It's like it's almost yeah. there. And you're just not going to mention, you talk about Division 3 and all these heroes running around with X-Men powers, and but it doesn't happen. You're on your toes. Of course, Season 2 just throws everything. It becomes even more surrealistic and didactic. And But again, if yeah. Chris Claremont was one of the writers, it was in the X-Men universe. It's like saying if Jack Kirby had decided to help Noah Hawley write it, it's canon, right? It's canon. How you can fit it in the X-Men universe is it's a story of cosmic level mutants, which definitionally are the ones that alter reality. So you can be you can be in the, which I didn't necessarily hate as a kid, the animated X-Men world. You can literally be in like that low resolution version of it. And these two are in 100% the same world because you're dealing with the story of cosmic level mutants. And in particular, one trying to heal out of his own madness right so and but they do this is another morrisonian throwback more in a flex mentalo sense so unless you notice it and they didn't they actually don't say xavier they say charles right and there you have it gordon taking us through one of the most amazing gnostic gospels and long form sigil magic spells in history and wait until he deals with shamanism and high magic in our second part. Please support this Red Pill Cafeteria for the full voices in your head, or if you find any value in the content. There are many ways to sub and many ways to support, and one will fit your needs or budget. If you need any help with any of the choices, just let me know. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. <laughs> <laughs>